Welcome to another edition of Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the star of our show. Oh, it's Brian. Uh, hello, Brian. Oh. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. G'day, Kev. G'day. Are you listening? And, um, well, the weather's getting better, Kev. It's good. Yes. Yes, so life is looking a little rosier in uh, in most uh, pockets of the world as we speak, fortunately. Well, yeah, we've got some shops open today, I think, and uh, that'll be good. We just can't wait for the pubs to open properly. <laughs> the only problem is I haven't got any money to spend anything on. You can open up 400 shops as far as I'm concerned, but I ain't got any cash. Oh, um, well, I sort of haven't been spending much because there's been nothing to spend it on. Oh, well, um, I've, I've found I've spent a lot more on food. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what, I've I've saved, what I've saved on petrol, I've spent on food. Well, I spent more at the bottle shop, but um, <laughs> less at the pub. So, yeah. you know, if you go to the pub and you say you have three, four pots, yeah. well, you're down about 22, 23 bucks. So it's probably saved me money by, you know, it's been buying cans or something to drink at home. So I'm finding that I'm not spending as much money as I would be normally. The social interaction, are you looking forward to actually being able to sit down at a table with another human being and have a chat? Yes, very much so. Um, and I'm looking forward to going to the pictures and going to the movies. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things to look forward to because we've been just doing nothing for so yeah. long. So, yeah. And as much as we, you know, dearly, and my hand's on my heart as I say this, we dearly, dearly love our family, but we probably had enough. Yeah, I reckon that's fair enough uh, <laughs> to say, fair to say. Yeah. Time to do some different things. With some different people. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, be nice to go further than 25 kilometres. I don't know what the logic in that is, that you can only go 25 kilometres or we can in Melbourne, but... Uh, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. Anyway. Well, hopefully by uh, the 8th of November or whatever it is, we'll be able to, uh, you know, completely come out of the lockdown phase and, and get back into uh, what whatever normal is going to be at the end of this. Yeah, yeah. I wonder when the lap dancing venues are going to open up. <laughs> That'll be the real test of things. How do you um, 1.5 uh, social metre social distance from a lap dancer? I'm not sure. Um, I guess Sexyland will be open too again now because that was that they did have to shut for a while, Kev. But um, you could order online and they deliver it to you within two hours. So that was really good service from Sexyland, the people at Sexyland. So there you go. Uh, now the one place that has been open through this whole uh, whole uh, shamozzle, if you want to call it that, or the pandemic, or whatever you want to call it, is Murcotts. Our very good friends. COVID nineteen uh, protocols still exist in in many areas, and they they're across all those things, but one three hundred triple five five seven six. that's their number, mercots.edu.au. They'll update you on the website about uh, all the changes that are happening, particularly in Victoria, obviously, but they're a national organisation, so uh, they've been open in uh, in the other states as per normal, uh, uh, like I said, as normal is these days. But um, once again, Melbourne's operating, so one three hundred triple five five seven six. If you want to know what they do, jump on the website, that'll tell you all about it. But basically, they're the people who make it safe for you to be on the roads. They'll uh, help you out with defensive driving courses. The mindset of being a defensive driver as opposed to being an aggressive driver is something that you need to wrap your head around and they will certainly help you do that. one 300 Now, Brian, today's edition of Life of Brian, mm-hmm. we are top shelf. Are we? We are top shelf. We have former uh, captain of the most oh. successful cricket team this country, uh, I guess, ever had because they had the, the, the run of wins, the consecutive wins like no other teams yeah. ever had, and he was yeah. at the helm of it. Yes, he was, and what a great team it was and what a what a great humanitarian he's turned out to be as well. He's, I'd, I'd say he qualifies as a great Australian, Kev. Yeah, absolutely. We only have those on this program. Steve War is the man we're talking about. He's, uh, done, a, he's done a lot of books over his, uh, his cricket career, the diary books and a a lot of other books, but he's now dabbled in photography. Mm. So we're going to talk to Steve about this new book he's got called The Spirit of Cricket, India, um, and we'll get all the details of, of that a little later on uh, in the uh, in the show. Uh, but uh, we've got part two of our chat with Sam Newman, the very colourful ah. media personality. 
Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's really funny in this. This is really good. Um, and you know, he's just he's just a great bloke to have have on the show, and he's just fun. I like yep. him a lot. Yep, absolutely. And if you want to find out the real story behind the Pamela Anderson facade on his house, you're about yep. to find out now as we bring you part two of Sam Newman. And we rejoin the chat by asking Sam just how serious his political ambitions were. I was actually serious about uh, running for the Lord Mayor of Melbourne. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I was, that was a couple of years ago when uh, Robbie Doyle just, um, well, um, Rob, Rob um, probably um, um, disgraced himself in some reason, uh, some way, I don't know, and had to withdraw. And uh, I was going to stand for the two years remaining of his uh, tenure of office. I done all the paperwork and I'd done all the application and I'd got all the, the, the statements that you have to make and a platform and some support and I had a little campaign office and the only day uh, that I was required to be at the town hall to present myself in person uh, was when the uh, footy show, uh, I'm not sure if you remember the footy show, that was the yes, yes. Um, I was sent. I was sent over to the Masters in that year, I think 2018 maybe, and oh, yeah. um, I was away for the actual day I had to present myself and they, you couldn't do it on Skype or you couldn't do it on uh, FaceTime, you actually had to present yourself in person, so that's, um, that disqualified me, if you like, from actually uh, running, so... Um, uh, that was the only thing I thought I might have a go at, but um, I, I couldn't do it for that reason. Okay. That's a pity because you'd be a great Lord Mayor for Melbourne, I reckon. Well, I would. Uh, I, I would. Uh, the thing I would have done is uh, divide the people evenly down the middle. Uh, uh, don't you worry about that. Um, <laughs> uh, there would be um, probably some people who would have been uh, bemused by me doing it, and there'd be other people who'd be completely antagonistic. And um, but the only thing I thought I would be good at is that I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't have any baggage. As in, I wouldn't have any people I would owe favours to. Um, it, it wouldn't be a political appointment per se. It would be done on its uh, absolute uh, basic merits. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I thought uh, might be uh, reassuring to the people, whether they like me or not. It would be for the right reasons, if you know what I mean. Yep. Yeah. You, you mentioned your podcast, You Can't Be Serious. That's going along uh, nicely. Yes. Um, look, we, we struck a bit of a hurdle uh, <laughs> a couple of months ago discussing uh, a certain player from St Kilda about uh, what his intentions were when he played for St Kilda. But we actually discussed things we think the general rank and file in the community um, probably discuss uh, wherever they are, if they're in the workplace or at home or socially, and... Uh, um, so we're going okay. Uh, um, so we, we we enjoy it. Well, I enjoy it, and Don does. Uh, Don Scott does. Don's a different person. Don't worry about that. Don's <laughs> a, a tripper. He's, he's out there. Don't worry about Don. Uh, if you can work out what he's on, it, uh, tell me, because I haven't been able to do my work. He's working out. I've known him for forty years. His opening question to me, Kev, was, "Okay, the last time I saw you was in We Will Rock You." Now. I thought those costumes were magnificent. Where do they come from? Do you make them yourself or does somebody buy them? Or where do they, they were magnificent. I think actually the first question was to you, I think I remember because I was nearly fell off the chair. He said, I'm not sure why we're speaking to you, um, Brian. I don't know a lot about you. And I said, oh, good. God, that's fantastic, man. That's a good way to get... Uh, so then he, uh, no, but he, he, he hides himself uh, just very carefully, but he, he knew all about you. Don't worry about that. But he, he likes to, I'm not sure why he likes to put his uh, guests at, uh, make them uneasy, because uh, that's, not, that's not the idea of our podcast. This is, we don't do it as a gotcha thing. We don't, we're not after headlines. The people we interview and come on as guests, we are genuinely interested in what makes them um, a personality. So uh, I'm not sure where he comes for on that, but... Uh, he, he keeps people on their toes. It was very funny, very funny indeed. Pamela Anderson, Sam. Oh. Yes, Pamela Anderson, yep. Pamela Anderson, you're obviously a big fan. Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that, Brian. So, so I own a block of land in Canterbury Road in um, uh, Middle Park, I think it was, or Albert Park. And this girl, I can say girl, uh, she was a girl in those days. She's a woman. She'd be a person today, I know, but I'm, I'm identifying her as a young girl. Uh, right. She she wrote to me at the footy show, uh, Cassandra Fay, her name is. She wrote to me at the footy show and she said, 
I don't know how she knew this. She said, I'm an um, architectural student and I notice you have a block of land. Would you like me to design a house to put on it? And I thought, what an extraordinarily forward and uh, confident person that is. Oh. And I met her and I said, what would you like to do? She said, I'd like to uh, submit a design for you to build a property, uh, a house on this property. So anyhow, she did it all and I got a builder and the first time, I know you can't believe this, no one did, the first time I ever realised what she was on about was when we went to the <laughs> South Melbourne Council, I think it was, and she and I and the council representative, she put out on the table a pixelated image of, I had no idea what the pixelated image was of, and uh, almost in unison, the bloke from the council and I said, what is that? And she said, well, if you stand back and you hold it up, it's a pixelated image of Pamela Anderson. And, I, and, <laughs> and she held it up and I said, God, well, it is too. Um, I said, so that's what we're doing on the facade, is it? Yeah, she, she, she'd worked it all out. Where her mouth was, that was where the roller door went up and uh, it looked like she was driving actually into it the back of her head. Uh, um, thank God she didn't have, uh, we didn't have a back entrance. Uh, anyhow, so, um, so, so the council bloke said, well, that's, that's, that's pretty novel. And I said, yeah, gee, uh, 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 Cassandra, that's uh, wow. Uh, so I then got accused of producing the neighbourhood by making it look like it was a Bordadello or a knock shop or a massage <laughs> parlour because they had Tamara Anderson on it. And um, she had the last laugh because she won um, a few overseas awards for uh, design. I don't think anyone had ever done that, certainly not with Tamara Anderson. I don't think anyone had put on the whole front of a facade of a house a pixelated image of uh, some film star or whatever you call it, or a Baywatch. Uh, and so she won some awards and it set her on the road to um, being quite a successful architect. So I had nothing to do with it. I, uh, it was a, a, an interesting design and um, very interesting design. It had a lap pool down all, the, down all one side of it. It had open living and uh, she was um, ahead of the curve. So I never lived in the house, uh, contrary to popular opinion. But I'll tell you what... Uh, I set up some, uh, after a couple of incidents, I set up some security cameras which I could visit the property because sometimes people weren't living in it or I could access it off my computer. And I put some cameras on the front of it and you would not believe uh, what people used to do uh, in front of that house. People would have a few drinks and then they would drive down and I won't tell you what they used to do to the front of that house. They used to, <laughs> well, they used to copulate in oh. front of it. In the, they used to defecate. They used to urinate on it. They used to, it was extraordinary. I don't know if they got their rocks off doing it. In the end, tourist buses used to, you know, the sites of Melbourne, they used to go by. It became uh, sort of pretty well known, uh, uh, even internationally in the, the buses and uh uh, the agencies that take people around showing them the sites of Melbourne, that used to be uh, one of the stops, uh, the Pamela Anderson house in uh, <laughs> Albert Park in uh, yeah. Melbourne, Australia. Do you know if Pamela ever found out that it existed? <laughs> Someone told me she did. Uh, never uh, contacted me ever, but I'm told that someone must have alerted her to the fact. I'm not sure if she uh, appreciated it or not. I don't know why she wouldn't appreciate it. It was a... It was actually a very clever and well-designed facade, if you like that sort of thing, and it was, wasn't was offensive. It was just a picture of a woman. And um, um, But I'm told that she uh, did was, was alerted to it, but I uh, don't know what she thought of it. So are there any other yeah. myths about you that, uh, that are, are wrong? Because everyone thought that you'd, uh, you'd come up with that. So what are, is there any other myths around about you that you want to uh, sort of kibosh here? Well, um, look. There's, a, there's an old saying, uh, thou protesteth too much. Yeah. You should never tell people who you are, really. You should just let them find out for themselves who you are. But I, over the journey, have been called, uh, I've been called a, um, certain, I'm called a racist. I've been called a homophobe, a transphobe. I've been called a, a sexist, a um, white supremacist. I've been called a... Someone called me once at a function and they said, you're a nihilist. I'd never heard of the word nihilist and I actually looked it up. A nihilist means you don't give a stuff about anything. Oh. Um, so I would refute all those things. I 
judge people on them alone, not what their sexual proclivity is, not what their gender is, not what their race is. I speak about people as people. And you would not believe, well, you would believe just how much trouble that can get you into. (laughs) But um, we should never be terrified to um, be branded by dishonest people uh, who want to brand you and put you into a pigeonhole and categorize you. I have no problem speaking about any person and saying what I think of them, uh, good or bad. I, I, I don't. I will take the risk of being, as I say, categorized into one of those five um, lazy tags that people give you. And uh, I'm not about to apologize for anything I say about people because I only say them about people. But you'd be amazed that if you don't have a more than pleasant opinion of someone who fits into one of those five categories, you are all, all already branded as uh, one of those five things I said. Yeah. Uh, but I've got too far in, in uh, life to uh, worry about it because I know who I am. I'm not trying to convince other people who I am. I, I just say that all those things couldn't be further from the truth, but um, uh, it, it gives people sport and comfort and sucker and they get some sort of a joy out of belting me and saying what I am and who I am, well, good on them. Oh, oh, you found at peace with yourself. Well, well, Brian, I am. I got a, I, I, we, uh, the only time I've actually ever met you, Brian, is when you came out uh, on a boat. I used to have, uh, thanks for asking about the boat, I put it onto the rocks offside uh, <laughs> of uh, Williamstown in January and unbeknownst to me, it had a hole in it and I got the people who are on board back to where I took it from, uh, the berth where I uh, uh, had it. About four days later, uh, someone rang me up and said, now you know your boat, Sam? I said, yeah. He said, it's half underwater. It's sinking. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. And I went down and it was. So uh, I don't have the boat anymore, but the time you were on it, we were a uh, member and we had a uh, fine time out there, Brian, just um, being who we are and uh, yes. about doing very inoffensive things. Uh, had a couple of drinks. Well, I don't drink, but uh, people had a couple of drinks on it. Yep. Some of them have a few too many drinks, but that's fine. We're out and I pilot the boat, and so they can do what they like as long as they don't uh, look like they're going to drown someone or uh, damage anything on the boat. I mind you, not that that worries me, but uh, uh, it, it, so that's the uh, only experience I've had with you. But we are at ease with ourselves and uh, yes. we generally enjoy our own company. Yes, and we had, as you as you said, four hundred and fifty dollars worth of chips and half a shark. <laughs> right, we pulled into Port Melbourne, uh, uh, a Rex Hunt's old uh, fish shop there in uh, called Delish Fish, and uh, we ordered that. I used to do that on a regular basis. The bloke couldn't believe his luck uh, when I used to ring him because uh, I would give him the biggest order that he ever had uh, for the whole month. I, I'd say uh, 20 pieces of flake, uh, 50 uh, uh, scallops, 50 uh, Jim Sims. Um, a, a bag full of chips and the bloke said, oh, geez. And, um, you know, it used to cost three or $400. But uh, if you've got 15 or 20 people on the boat, uh, you'd be surprised at how quickly all that goes. <laughs> I know what happens on the boat stays on the boat. Wasn't Warwick Capper on that trip? Yeah, uh, Warwick Capper used to co- and Ricky Nixon are now there. So your tag team that you oh, should geez. be on the boat to observe. <laughs> you could make a series of um, infotainment shows or reality shows with those people. Uh, he's, a, he's a very nice person, Warwick. He is as mad as a martyr. But uh, people know that. But he is a very nice man. And Ricky, uh, believe it or not, is a, not believe it or not, he's a very nice man too. But they enjoy the high life. Uh, they bring on um, uh, their choice of alcohol. I'm not sure what else they bring on the boat. And I'm not sure. I'm sure they don't bring anything else on the boat. But they certainly like to have a drink there because uh, they don't have to worry about driving <laughs> home. They get a limo down there and the limo drives them back at the end of the day. And um, I just sit up on the uh, up on the uh, up on the flybridge is where I drive it, and I just just get enjoyment watching them get slowly more intoxicated <laughs> and doing more and more ridiculous things, <laughs> and speaking more shit to the people on the boat. Uh, and when they say they want to swim, I just quickly rush down and put a life jacket on them so that when they jump into the water, uh, I can be made, made, be made well assured that uh, no one will drown. <laughs> You're racing car driving. Yes. Now, you, I'm just looking through your records. You did pretty well with a lot of the racing car driving. Um, well, you got a third, you got a pole position. For a uh, 
just for a, um, a shit kicker, a novice. I was a very good amateur driver, but if you get up against someone who actually knows how to drive properly, uh, that's a different story. And one of the great experiences of my life, I drive drove twice at Bathurst, and that is one of the most exhilarating things I've uh, ever done. I raced on all the circuits around Australia. We used to go on the tour, uh, as I say, when the season was on. I used to drive a uh, 360 Modena Ferrari, and then I drove a, um, uh, a Lamborghini. And I, my great, my great claim to fame is uh, uh, in one of the uh, races prior to the Melbourne Grand Prix, one of the support races called the Nations Cup. Uh, I came third to the great Peter Brock, who drove a uh, one of the new Monaros, and uh, the second place getter was a bloke called Darcy Russell, who drove a Dodge Viper. And I came third, stood on the podium, got a great photo of me standing on the podium with the great late Peter Brock, uh, oh. having I uh, was driving a Lamborghini. So that is one wow. of the great thrills of my life. Yeah, that's a beauty. Yeah, Peter Brock. Hey, wow. uh, hey, uh, Sam, if you could do a duet with Brian, what uh, what song would be? What song would you select to do a duet with Brian? Well, um, uh, Brian is probably. Oh, I'm not. I shouldn't. I, sh- I shouldn't assume this. Brian would probably be a different genre to me. I, I, grew well, up I don't mind a bit of swing, a bit of Frank or Dino. Yeah. Well, then I, I grew up in the. Um, uh, assuming that you think I have grown up, I grew up in the uh, the late fifties and sixties with. Uh, the big bands and the uh, the crooners, and uh, then got into the uh, local music scene with the uh, Masters Apprentices and um, oh, who were I can't think of all who were, you should know this Brian who were all the contemporary. Oh, you uh, went and saw the Beatles, didn't you? I saw the Beatles in 1964. I did. I went and saw the Beatles in 1964. Got it. Went there with um, uh, someone. I think. I think it was maybe a woman. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> uh, it wouldn't matter if it wasn't a woman these days. We are gender neutral. I could have man, woman, or beast. It doesn't matter. So I went to the uh, Beatles and never heard one song they sang. Uh, that was a, just a screaming <laughs> crescendo of people shouting and screaming for the whole night. It was uh, quite an experience. I saw some great acts at the, uh, uh, what used to be called the West Melbourne Stadium, and then it was renamed Festival Hall. I saw Sinatra, uh, Sinatra there a couple of times. Uh, right. I saw Louis Armstrong. I saw um, uh, Alice Cooper. Is he the bloke that had the snake? Yep. To bring the, he wasn't really had great laws here in Australia. He wasn't allowed to bring the live animal on. So we missed him uh, with the snake, but pretty good show. That was welcome to my nightmare. That was great. It, it was indeed. That's exactly what it was called. I saw uh, uh, Joe Cocker, who um, I think probably set a world record by drinking probably three or at least two, but maybe three bottles of scotch on the stage while he was performing. And uh, at the end, they wheeled out a trolley and they just put him on it and they just wheeled him out the back. I'm not. They might have set fire to him. I'm not sure what they did to him, but. <laughs> That was in the probably the seventies, I think. I'm not sure about that. Um, the early seventies. That, that's when he got kicked out of the country. That's right. Yep. That's that's exactly right. And uh, so it was a uh, gee, the West Melbourne Stadium and Festival Hall. Uh, if you drove past it now, you think it's uh, dog kennels. If you yeah. drove past it now, but this was the main attraction here in Melbourne, Australia, for visiting artists. Yes, it was. Yeah, Joe Cocker was out here for, for his fiftieth birthday doing some shows. And they were going to have, he was staying at Ray Evans' joint, they were going to have a big party for him. Anyway, by the time all the guests arrived, Joe was pissed out of his mind. <laughs> so they had to put him to bed. So they put him in the bed and all the guests came and they said, nah, nah, it's off, Joe's off, Joe's off his tree and blah, blah. And I'm told that apparently Joe shit the bed, which oh. was not really the way to celebrate the birthday. Uh, I know that was half the course in those days. I don't know what substances they used to take, but I, I reckon a couple of bottles of scotch uh, just in the hour and a half that you're performing would probably see you into bed pretty early. But uh, <laughs> it was uh, extraordinary time. <laughs> well, anyhow, um, um, uh, the uncanny X-Men, of course, Brian, um, just, oh. uh, just moving up a, moving up a level. Uh, uh, all fantastic parts of the Australian entity. Entertainment scene, mate, and um, oh. you should be proud of your contribution. Oh, well, I don't know. Well, yeah, no, I, I it's still, a work, know, still a work in progress. Still a work in progress. Well, that's right. Well, of course, uh, because, because you're a decent man and you're modest, and uh, uh, you won't say uh, agree with me, but I can say it on behalf of people because um, 
and you don't have to answer or respond. I'm just telling you a fact. Oh, thank you very much for your kind of thoughts. <laughs> um, uh, the, the thing that intrigued me, uh, Kevin, you'd, you'll, you might appreciate this, you might not. Um, out on the boat, I don't know what happened, but something to do with uh, the way I was driving the boat or where I was going, this inspired Brian to launch into the complete script and dialogue of Jaws. Yep. Um, <laughs> I said, I, if you had a spare, I don't know how long the movie went for, but if it went for an hour and 20 minutes, he could start off and tell you the whole script. And he had me enthralled. It was uh, <laughs> not one thing you could say to him, um, do you remember? He said, do I remember? And he could quote the exact <laughs> words and the scene and who was in it and where it happened and how long it went for. It was uh, frightening and I'm not sure why a man who's in the top uh, echelon of uh, the Australian entertainment industry would have been preoccupied with a film called Jaws. But um, <laughs> uh, it, it's a great feather in your cap, Brian. Oh, thank you. What is your favourite film, or one or two of them? Well, uh, that's a very good question. Probably three or four films I like because they're true. Uh, they're, they're not. They might have been just doctored a little for um, uh, effect's sake. But one of them is called um, Hidden Figures, about three oh. black women who were genius mathematicians who helped launch the first uh, John Glenn into space. Uh, no computers, and they were absolutely geniuses with uh, calculations. And they were, because it was uh, segregation, they weren't allowed actually in the same room as the people who uh, constructed the uh, rocket. Oh. They couldn't go to the toilet in the same block. They had to go half a mile away. It was a fascinating film. And in the end, um, John Glenn, uh, who was the first American into space, said he would not get into the rocket until one of the women, one of the black women, uh, ratified the figures that the white blokes in suits and that and were in a different room had calculated. He said he wants wants this woman to sign off on it, and uh, she did. And they subsequently named three of the space areas in uh, Cape Canaveral or Kennedy after three of those black women. Oh. That was a fantastic film. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, about uh, oh, yeah. Edmund Doss, who I uh, think uh, Mel Gibson um, uh, uh, directed that. that. Uh, about a bloke who was a conscientious ejector, didn't wouldn't fire a gun, but he said he'll go to war instead of shooting people, he'll save people, his own people. Uh, that was a fantastic film, and uh, probably a film that would have cost uh, seriously a hundred dollars to make was um, the world's fastest Indian. Uh, oh yeah. About the Indian motorbike, um, a bloke called Bert Munro from Invercargill in New Zealand went to Bonville and got a 50cc motorbike, which he had tampered, tinkered around with to do over 200 miles an hour. And uh, for 30 or 35 years, that remained the world's record speed for a bike of that capacity. I'm not sure if it's been broken since. Uh, all great films that... Um, uh, they're there, the films are like, the ones that are true, and um, as I say, they doctor them up a bit, but you get the general idea of what they're about. Very good. So. The Sam Newman story, who'll play you in that? <laughs> Maybe you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know. No, I, um, I tell you what, it'd be a very um, be, be a very list of people who would reject the offer. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah, so, uh, no, I, I have no idea who would put their hand up for that and uh, what flack they'd get for uh, actually conceding to be a play me so I, I think that will probably never eventuate for a whole lot of reasons that being the main one that no one would be game to put their hand up and say uh, that's the role that they've um, been given yeah. oh, Chris, Chris Hemsworth might play you well I reckon Chris Hemsworth, uh, that's another great film um, um, Rush uh, when oh, yes. oh yeah James Hunt, that's true and Nicky Lauder, that was a fantastic film um, yeah. and uh, that that that's. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was excellent, yeah, and was. he played that. Just he was great in that, and yeah. so was the bloke who played uh, uh, Nicky Lauder. Nicky he, he was. The, I can't think of that man's name, but uh, that they're the four films I like: Rush, yeah. Hacksaw Ridge, World's Fastest Indian, and Hidden Figures. You see Chris Hemsworth in Rush, and you just think this guy should be playing James Bond. Yeah. He'd be the Absolutely. best James Bond. Yeah. And yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that, Brian, because. Uh, don't worry about the only James Bond that's ever been. There's no, this is not even an opinion. This is a fact. The only James Bond that's ever been is Sean Connery. Uh, the yep. rest of them are very nice people and very good actors and all that. But uh, 
if ever you imagined what James Bond would be like, it would be like Sean Connery playing him. Hey, Sam, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and it's, been, thanks, it's, it's been very entertaining and very enlightening having a chat. Well, it's a pleasure, and thank you very much, and uh, all the best to both of you. Ah, the lovely Sam Newman. So you won't be going out on the boat again for a while, obviously. No, no. Boat days are over. Yes. That's it. No more boat. I can just see you and him on the boat. It would have it would have looked like the skipper and Gilligan from uh, from the TV show. Well, it looked, that looked a lot better than uh, Ricky and Warwick on the boat. <laughs> they were off their chops. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, now, anyway. look, we're always looking for, for music to play on this uh, on this podcast, so we'd love you to send us any music that you've done. Just simply jump on the uh, on the Twitter page, the Facebook page, whatever, and, and shoot, us, uh, shoot us your song. We've uh, been alerted to one by an act called Dino Jag. Dino now, Jag, isn't yeah, that a now, cool name? It's basically an ISO project that, that sort of started in his home studio in Adelaide, as as most things have been in the in the last six or seven months. Well, this is an ISIS project, Kev. ISO project. Yes. Oh, jeez, well, I was going to say, Kev. <laughs> I think a lot of ISIS projects started matches too. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we don't want to be promoting them, mate. No, <laughs> Let's just stick one... to the music. <laughs> I think this one's got a happy ending. So it's all... Oh, happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, so the actor's called Dino Jag. Uh, he's from Adelaide, uh, just mucking around in his uh, in his garage, wrote this song and has put it up on, uh, on Facebook. That's where it started. And then it's gone b- ballistic from there on to Spotify and all sorts of things. So um, I reckon it sounds like Jamiroquai. What do you reckon, Brian? I reckon he sounds a bit like um, he's uh, Bruno Mars a little okay. bit. But he's got a great voice. Oh, um, yeah. It's just got a really good timber to it and um, he's obviously been using it for quite a while because he sound, it's very, very well sung. And yep. it's a really cool song too. So well done, Dino Jag. And here it is. Dino Jag can't keep still. Go the crows. I'm stepping up for a move. Some groove. Ray Charles wanna give me song. A little retro never hurt anyone. Can't stop jamming. Do do do. Bring a little rhythm to me. You know that I can't keep still. Can't stop jamming. Do do do. When you give a that lift to me. Shaking like a VIP
Oh, All right. Dino Jag there. Can't keep still. And as we said, uh, please uh, do... Well, that's available on Spotify. But uh, make sure you send us any of your music that you've got to run around. We've got uh, three shows to go before we get stuck into Christmas and have a break. But uh, have a break. What do we have a break from? Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, we need a holiday, oh, Kevin. We've been, yes, been flat Mike. stick all year. Oh, oh, we've been so COVID busy, it's not funny. So send us your music via the Facebook page or uh, also on the uh, on the Twitter account as well. Now, mm. Steve Wall, we talked about him earlier, Brian. Well, we did. We were bagging the hell out of him. No, we weren't. No. We reckon he's a superstar. Yes, we do. Now, he's got a book. It's called The Spirit of Cricket India. India. Mm. Now, you have a book too. I do. I've got and it's a... finally out. Oh yeah, it's a, apparently apparently it's been out for a while, but I just didn't know. Oh really? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so my audio book, um, hell, I didn't even like Al Green. You can get it at um, iTunes or Google Play. Um, it's available right now, and uh, if you want a hard copy, well, we'll worry about that for you later down the track. You but mean a book get... book? A book book. Yeah, I've got a book book. You can have a look, look at the book book, but in the meantime, you can have a listen to the audio book. Now, obviously, uh, I have to bring up uh, the, the cover artwork. Uh, those two icons, uh, they're on the cover. You can't miss them. Uh, they're unmistakable. The, yep. the green VB cans, really yep. good that you put them on the on the front cover. Yeah, me, Donald Trump, Kim Jong-un and some oh, VB cans. Okay, so it's, uh, you've got Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un on there yeah. as well. Yeah, and the beers. Well, that's how you get things sorted, Kev. You get get people together, give them a couple of beers, talk things through, and before you know it, you've got world peace. Exactly. And uh, finally, people can find out why you've called the book what you've called it. Yeah, you'll, you'll find out when you get to Memphis. Yeah. All right. I oh, know. So check that book out. It's available uh, on Audible and all those uh, places where you no, find... No, I don't think it is available on Audible. Right. Don't be giving... No, it's bugger Audible. They, was, they were slowing the whole thing down. <laughs> so we just go to Google Play and iTunes. Let's, let's just sort that out for now. Right. We'll worry about Audible down the track when we look at the book book. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's available on Google and what? Google Play and iTunes. Okay. All right. Hell, I didn't even like Al Green. Uh, That is uh, Brian Mannix's books. But here is Steve Ward's book. Trippin' USA. All right. The Spirit of Cricket India, and here's the man himself. Hell, I didn't even like India. Hey, thanks for your time, Steve. Have you you reached as many interviews for this book as you have runs in Test Cricket yet? I think I'm approaching it, mate, yeah, on the way. (laughs) uh, Not quite 10,000, but it's done it. The Spirit uh, of Cricket India. I wonder, the first question I want to ask is, what what is the spirit of cricket for you? How would you describe the spirit of cricket? Um, I think it's just about um, having a go, enjoying um, a really simple game with your mates, um, camaraderie, mateship, seeing how good you can possibly be. But I think for India, I'd probably describe it as, you know, saying that um, attitude, energy, um, enthusiasm and imagination that's all you need besides the bat and the ball because uh, really you can make your own stumps so you can draw some chalk on the, on the wall or you can have some bricks or some palings as a stumps and if you find a bat and the ball and away you go simple game yeah congratulations on the books Steve the photos Thanks. are terrific they're really good how many did you take there's those 220 in the book mm. so how many did you take uh, well, right between fifteen and 20,000 it was um, we sort of crammed it in 18 days I was lucky enough to um to get a good mate of mine come along with me, a guy called Trent Park, who's an ex-cricket player and a photographer, but he's now the only Australian ever to be invited to Magnum Photo Agency. And I wanted someone to come with me to sort of teach me how to take a better photograph. I've always been keen to take them, but normally on the automatic setting, I'm scared of the manual and manual settings. This time I went with the manual and tried to understand shutter speed and aperture and ISO and how to use the light properly. So it was, um, it was a real steep learning curve for myself. Oh, geez, you've well, got, you got all the, uh, all the expressions uh, down pat. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I particularly liked it. I didn't realise that the guy with the stick at first. I thought, why is he bowling with a stick? And then I realised yeah. he only had one leg. And then yeah. I noticed that the batsman only had one leg. And I was yeah. just blown away by the, mm. their ability. Where was that? Yeah, they were the physically challenged cricketers. No, exceptional athletes, really. I mean, I, I was in, um, I think it was in uh, Delhi, or one of those guys, but they were. Um, Unbelievable, their athleticism, and it was like poetry in motion. I describe it as like flying ninja warriors because they come in and jump through the air and then either brace themselves on the bamboo pole or land with the bamboo pole under their shoulder and then bowl these incredible deliveries and batting was fantastic. It was just, um, it was mind blowing really to see these, these, these guys in action. They're just, um, so good at what they were doing. 
I was also really impressed with the three-year-old kid. Um, <laughs> he's a gun. How good is he? Yeah, he's, he's quite a character, says a little fellow. We found him on Instagram and um, went to his village outside of Calcutta, and he's a bit of a legend there already, and made our way down to his, his house with his mum and dad and his, his family. And um, like any three-year-old, his attention spans about five minutes, but once, once he gets a bat in his hand, he's, he's a demon. He's got this amazing cover drive, and he's got this one-handed cover drive he plays. Um, but we had some fun with him, and he, he belted myself and Trent and the videographer up. We were in a small room together, and he, he, he thought he'd rather hit us than a cricket ball. So <laughs> well, I saw him, it was a funny couple of hours. I saw him biking Trent towards the end. <laughs> Got a bit of a chomp on his leg, but he was set, he sent off to have a cookie and some milk and settle down after that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's obviously an amazing country, India. Why why did it capture you? And I mean, you've toured the world and, and played cricket in all sorts mm. of different places. Why did why did India uh, get you? Um, I think from the first time I went there back in '86, you know, um, looking at that bus window and just looking into another world. It was so, so far from what I was used to in Western suburbs of Sydney and. Just the, the amount of people, the traffic was chaotic. No one was staying in the lanes. No one stopped at red lights. Um, and then on side, on side streets, you have, you have beggars and you have you know, cats and dogs and rats, a whole variety of animals. And it was just so much going on outside the, the bus window. And I could never really get out and capture it because as a player, your personal space is sort of invaded when you're well known. So I just said in the back of my one day when it's profiles a bit less, I want to come back. I want to take a few people, hop on a bus and get out there amongst it and stop whenever I want and take the photos I've always wanted to take. And that was really sort of the um, the idea behind it. And obviously, we needed some backing. And Canon, who have been an ambassador for for a number of years, uh, supported the project in a huge way. Well, yeah, it looks like you had you, what did you do nine cities in eighteen days. Is that right? Yeah, it was all a bit of a blur. I mean, apparently, COVID was starting to happen all around the world, but we were unaware of that. Um, we just went from one hotel to another. Basically, uh, got on the car six in the morning, tried to get up the first light because obviously that's the golden hour for photography, and then. Photographed all through the day, and then tried to get the uh, the other golden hour at sunset, and then we'd um, we'd make our way to the next venue. So it was probably fifteen hours a day taking photographs. The ones with the um the, the monks uh, and the Himalayas in the background—they're terrific shots. That looks amazing. Yeah, I wanted to get the cross section of people in cricket. So I had physically challenged cricketers, blind cricketers, like cricket with the monks, women's cricket academy. You know, I visited a hundred the oldest living cricketer in India, the three year olds, um, and everyone in between. So. But yeah, the monks was the one of the highlights for sure, playing uh, the foothills of the Himalayas uh, as a backdrop. And, and these guys are really good cricketers too, and they just had no fear. We played on a really rough sort of surface. It was in, uh, you know um, very undulating. There was cattle, cows around us. And mm-hmm. I thought the boys would pull out the tennis balls and have a pretty casual game. But no, they were straight into the rock hard cricket balls and no pads on and no gloves and no protection. And they were, they were getting stuck into it. And <laughs> there was plenty of, uh, plenty of ball on, on shin bones and knees. And in fact, one guy. Uh, went for a cover drive and left off the length and even the cheekbone, but not once did they flinch. I mean, they way tougher than me. Wow. Jeez. Steve, it's obviously this kind of thing is what uh, keeps cricketers a game for you. I mean, it would be very easy for someone who's done what you've done on the game and, and been where the game has taken you to have got involved in the corporate world and been sucked into that, but you seem to have um, managed to maintain your absolute love for the purity of the game. Yeah, it's all of it. I mean, this is uh, really was a passion project and uh, something I've always wanted to do because it really interested me and it was a challenge of uh, not only um, you know going all around India but actually becoming a decent photographer. That was one of the main aims of this, to surprise people with the quality of photos. Um, yeah, I've been a little bit involved in cricket recently with Justin Langer and the Train 7 in the Ashes, but I've sort of looked on from the outside and done my own thing a bit. And um, this is a type of project that really interests me because it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge, but I have a passion for travel, India and cricket, so it all came together in photography. You got to meet uh, Mother Teresa many years ago, and she was a bit of an inspiration for you. Yeah, on one of the tours, I um, yeah, uh, it was suggested to me by Robert Craddock, who um, I'd earlier done an interview um, and told him that you know, the person I'd love to meet was Mother Teresa. We scattered the Sisters of the Missionaries of Charity Motherhouse in Calcutta on the day off, which I did. Met her, and she really was um, an inspiring figure, uh, a tremendous aura and presence about her. And I just thought if I get a chance one day, maybe I'd like to emulate what she'd done uh Charity, so I got got into it next on the next trip to India. I went to a rehabilitation centre for kids who'd been living in uh, with parents who had leprosy, or the kids themselves had leprosy. And I saw that could make a difference with my profile to raise money and raise awareness, and then that carried on now to Steve Wall Foundation in Australia, which looks after kids with rare diseases. Yeah, yeah, and you got a lot of girls. The girls weren't going to that school, but you went and built a dorm and everything so that the girls can get educated as well. 
Yeah, well, it was, yeah, it was, I asked the question because when I went out to this facility, the kids were very happy and content and well looked after, but there was no girls there. And I said, why aren't there girls? And they said, well, the boys are the breadwinners. If we can educate them, they can go back and then they can take their family out of that environment. But the downside of that was that the girls were stuck there and many of the young girls would have to turn to, um, you know, sell themselves on the street at a very young age. And I just had my first daughter, Rosie, and I just, was one of those moments where I just pretended I, I didn't hear, I couldn't hear what uh, they were saying. I had to do something about it. Yeah, uh, well done. Yeah. Uh, setting up the Steve Waugh Foundation, was that something you agonised over or was that something that was a really natural thing for you and, uh, and Lynette to do? Um, uh, like with a lot of things I do and uh, I, I sort of dive in head first and try and work it out later and <laughs> take a few people with me and live a bit of a train wreck. But um, we had to, just, you know, we wanted to set a chariot up Lynette myself. I didn't want to benefit you. People offered that. I said, oh, let's raise money for a cause. And then we had the money raised and, didn't really know exactly what it was going to be, but then it, um, we wanted to help kids with nowhere else to turn, give them somewhere to turn, and that ended up being kids in hospitals. And we sort of got inundated because we couldn't say no, and then we learned it, researched it all, and found out that we were helping kids considered in this category of having a rare disease. Yeah. And uh, the last few years, we sort of even narrowed the focus to extremely rare conditions, of which there's about 500, and all of those conditions don't get support from governments in many cases, and there's no other charities taking turn to. So we really are the last point of call. Yeah. yeah, I know somebody that's got Angel Man syndrome, and it's, that's one that most people don't know about. But it's no. um, it's it's a shocking disease, and it's um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. dreadful. So I, yeah. I really applaud you for looking after those rare diseases because you know um, mm. cancer and stuff that kind of gets the attention all the time, but the rare ones don't. So I think that's really sure. a really great thing. So well done on that. Thank you. Hey, Steve, that, uh, the, the description Trent talks about uh, being a good photographer is about being uh, there before the photo happens or being able to put yourself yeah. in, that, in that second before yeah. the photo happens. Did you, did, you, did you get to that point? Yeah, I think so, and that was something I learned from Trent. Obviously, was you know, preparing and getting there early and setting yourself up and just seeing where the scene is that you want, getting ready and let the, so just let the people and animals come in. It's like people moving in and out of the set, and then when you think you've got the moment, then, then take the shot. But it is a lot of preparation, a lot of intuition, gut feeling, and sort of seeing what might happen and just trying to capture that moment that will never happen again. That's that's what you're really after that. And try and make it, you know, that, that emotional connection between yourself and someone looking at the picture. But And obviously the light is important as well. So, yeah, it was yeah. a crash course for me in learning and uh, I've learned from the best. One of the hallmarks of you as a, as a cricketer was your patience. Uh, is that needed in photography as well or is photography a little different? It's a bit both, yeah. You certainly need um, patience, that's for sure, um, to get that right shot. And I guess an example of that was, you know, on the Oval and Hazard Maidans where there's thousands of cricketers and plenty of action going around, but you're not quite sure what's going to unfold, so you've just got to wait there and wait there for that shot. So that took a number of hours. So, yeah, patience definitely is a key, but I think also hard work and preparation. I mean, um, you certainly don't want to go uh, off on a photo shoot and realise that you haven't uh, put your memory card in or charged your batteries or you've got the wrong lens, so... <laughs> It's a bit of the same with cricket. You've got to make sure you've got the right gear to start with, have a fair idea what you're trying to do. And I think Trent, a good analogy, it's like setting a field and then waiting for the trap to happen, you know, yeah. put, putting things in place and then you, you get your success. I want to ask you about yeah. Justin Langer and spending some time with the Aussies at the Ashes. We saw you in, the, in that uh, wonderful series that uh, AD Brown put together called Tests. Um, did you enjoy that? Was that was that an enjoyable experience for you? Did it, did it whet your appetite to be back involved in cricket at any kind of level? Yeah, look, I, I certainly loved it. It was great to be back. for was 15 years since I was directly involved and good friends with Justin. And you know, I'd sort of talked about this mentoring role beforehand for quite a while. I, I did that role with the Olympic team in Beijing and London and loved it. And I just think it's really about um, giving people confidence, giving them a bit of a shortcut, a blueprint to success from your experiences and sort of being there and just to, to listen and, uh, and to be around. And yeah, it was, was excellent to be around. A yeah, good bunch of guys, really going in the right direction under Justin Langer and Tim Payne and and um, and the various other captains of the T20 and one day team. So they're a good bunch. And yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to be involved in that sort of role again down the future, but it really depends on the coach and, and the needs of the team. Yeah. Now you've, you've conquered yeah. photography. Now you've conquered writing books. You've, you've conquered the cricket <laughs> world. Is music the last frontier? Because Brian could probably help you, Steve. <laughs> no, no, I think I'm going to leave that on Steve Smith. He's having a crack at it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, no, don't. Oh, Smith. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, I don't think I, you've got to sort of know where you love I do like to get out of comfort zone, but that's probably jumping in the ocean for me without, um, without any life jacket. <laughs> Will there be a, a spirit of cricket Sri Lanka book? Steve or uh, West Indies? 
Yeah, the hope is I'd love to do Australia because I think we've got a unique way of Ooh, playing yeah. in Australia, you know, like beach life, and, and um, you know, it's uh, the amount of people I've grown up with, where there's you know a club would have a scorer who's been doing it for thirty, forty years, or the afternoon tea ladies yeah. doing it for twenty or thirty years. All those club people. So the spirit of food to me is not necessarily about the international players; it's about grassroots and what yeah. happens and what people love about the game. So I'd love to do Australia, and then I'd love to do maybe the Caribbean or the UK or. As you say, Sri Lanka and even places like Nepal and Bhutan, which have got really good foothold in cricket now, or Afghanistan. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now you have got an art exhibition uh, with the, the at the play box in uh, in Paddington. The, the, the all the photos, yep. obviously, a, a selection going to be shown. You got the book, obviously, and then there's uh, the ABC are promoting a, a television special. Did they follow you around with cameras? Did they when you were doing all this? Uh, no, well, funny enough, uh, you, you mentioned uh, the test on Amazon with the Australian team, uh, and I was over there last year and. Um, uh, the guy who was filming there was a guy called Andre Major who did all the filming behind the scenes and you d- didn't notice him anywhere. He did it so discreetly and so well. I was very impressed and uh, and I had this obviously photographic idea to go to India and literally 10 days before I thought, well, I should take Andre behind me and just capture all the footage and never know what might come of it. Yeah. And he, like, thankfully he had a gap in his schedule. He said, yeah, I'll come along. And I said, mate, just stay a step behind me and just film everything. And sure enough, there's 30 hours of footage and ABC loves it and they're Use that as a sort of the um, foundation for the um, the documentary. So, yeah, it's the same guy who filmed um, the Amazon test. Is, um, oh, good. Did it for me as well. Beautiful. Brian, you yeah. got any last question for Steve? No, I think I'm right. <laughs> but hang on. Yes, I do have one. Um, <laughs> the book's available at stevewar.com.au. That's how we get a copy. Yeah, of that's it. right. Yeah, yeah, we're still publishing it, so we, we're going to crack ourselves. And uh, you can order it directly online. Yeah, so stevewar.com.au. And, um, yeah, hopefully people will enjoy it and be surprised by the quality of photos. And there's a number of stories in there. And there's a portrait of Satchin Tendulkar, which is pretty unique as well. Yeah, don't no, you? It, looks, it looks great. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Congratulations, Stephen. And once again, thank you so much yes. for uh, spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. No, good on you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bye. mate. You're a champ. Bye. No problem. See you later, guys. All right, Bye. see ya. Bye. All right, Steve Waugh, the former captain of the Australian cricket team. No, that, 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 wouldn't you have loved to have? I just, that would have been my dream. If, if there's something I could do, it would be captain Australian cricket. That's what I would love to have done. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was so oh, I'm bad a cricket at, nuffy. I was so bad at cricket, I'd never be able to captain them. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, kicking a goal at the MCG would be pretty special. I reckon that'd be good. Yeah, no, I don't doubt that. But, How much um, football ability did you have, Brian? None, none. Right, I, I, okay. Low, I, you know, I did this year. I played this year. I've only just recently retired. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, I, let's just face it, I was the most accurate kick in the whole competition this year. I got 100% accuracy because I had one kick and kicked one goal. So there you go. I think it's important to find something that you're good at, do it, and then quit. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> I think, now, I want to remind everyone about Murcotts, our, our great partners here on uh, The Life for Brian Podcast, one 555 The changes and all the protocols, uh, they'll be across all those across the website. Open for business in Victoria once again. And uh, if, you're, if you're looking for a voucher for Christmas, grab one. Grab one, give it to someone you love, and you'll certainly help them out uh, with their with their what's ahead of them for the next 20, 30, 40 years uh, driving on the road. So one 576 Special offer coming up for Christmas with those vouchers, so make sure you take advantage of that. Now, Brian, on the next Life of Brian, dot, 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 yes. next, that is. Yes. We have, as our guest, the biggest mm. selling Singles artist oh. of the eighties in the UK and Europe. This and is not very you. exciting. No, it's, it's not, not me. You. No, it's a it's a guy that just burst into our life. We're in double denim, and he had he's on countdown, and he came out here and did some promotional tours, and um, he's got a far bigger collection of work than um, body of work than I ever knew. It's but massive. It is. I don't think it was all released in Australia, but do you want to tell them who it is, Kev? No, well, because I, I think everyone's going, who's the biggest selling singles artist across England and Europe in the 80s? And you're probably thinking Duran Duran or maybe yeah. uh, Culture Club and Boy George. You know, That the, awful Phil Collins. <laughs> I don't think that's officially his name, Brian. He's not coming on the show. I don't give a stuff what he's promoting. He's not he's coming actually, on. He's, he's boring. He's a lovely fella. He's a he's lovely, lovely fella. fella, is he? <laughs> He he did uh, he did divorce his wife by fax, but you know that's that 
Times are changing. Um, he gave her a fax, did he? Good on uh, him. Uh, yes. Uh, no, it's actually uh, uh, Shaken Stevens. Shaky. Yes. Woohoo. Yes. Shaky's on the show. And Fantastic. Shaky's got a big uh, box set coming out that we'll talk to him about and uh, the work that he's done since, the you know, the 60s all the way through. So all that uh, is coming up in the next uh, edition of Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is. Yeah. All right, Brian, take All care, right. look after yourself, and we Thanks. will uh, see you next time on The Life of Brian. Thank you, Kev, and thank you for listening. And uh, what are we going out with today, Kev? Oh, we're going out with your song. Oh, how about me? Yes, More a bit of me. <laughs> now, when did you write this? Uh, I wrote this in about 1986. Okay, and why and, is it um, only seeing the light of day now? Well, um, that's a good point. Um, I, I, the X-Men uh, did it, but we never recorded it. And then I recorded it on my solo album. I the think so the, the X-Men, you did it live, but you haven't recorded it. Yeah, all. we did it live with the X-Men. Then I recorded it on my solo album. My solo album came out on the day the record company went bankrupt. So, um, Oh, good move. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> so that was pretty much the end of the solo album. Anyway, so I've been, you know, I've got the solo album. I've been selling a few copies of them to, you know, gigs and stuff. And I thought, yeah. oh, look, I'll just, I really like this song, 600 Questions. So I thought, well, I'll just put it out there and uh, take it away from the album and um, I'll release some other songs from that album in the next coming month. All right, so this is available on Spotify, I'm assuming? Absolutely. Right. On Spotify, iTunes, Shazam, whatever you want. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, well, let's have a listen to it. So and, uh, you can get it on cassette. No, you can't. <laughs> yeah, eight track. Eight track. <laughs> 78. Oh, yeah, terrific. Seven. Uh, thank you, Brian. Uh, let's finish with those 600 questions. The Morse code version. Morse code version. Dash, 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 dash. There'll be a carrier yeah. pigeon delivering it to your house any minute now. Ah, yeah, because ah. yeah, the Pony Express is busy. Right. Uh, here it is. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> See you soon. See you, Kev. It's a great thing for all of us. Promoter got paid. And ordinarily, I would have got paid. The cop got paid. Paul McCartney got paid. It's a beautiful world. I don't want you walking out on my words. Just tell me what I gotta do to be heard. All the time So now I'm asking you What's on my mind 600 questions For you That for answers One truth 600 questions They're questions They're questions about Questions about you
Questions about questions about 